So with my deep appreciation, the Sangha that has assembled here, the bhikkhus, the siladharas, and those uh, disciples, all of you, the Thai ambassador and his wife, and members of the Thai embassy, uh, this is a special event because the uh, Tuesday group, they've uh, also sponsored the Katina and live in this most incredibly faithful almsgiving group on Tuesdays. Whether it snows, earthquake, typhoon, <laughs> cyclone, whatever. <laughs> and so, and always uh, they bring such excellent Thai food. <laughs> but this is, uh, and so they've, they've never asked for anything. They, it's strictly this uh, sense of love of giving alms to the Sangha. And so they've, they've gained the respect of all of us uh, over the many years that they've been doing this. <laughs> and of course this is, uh, uh, you know, one of the lovely things about this tradition, the, the uh, support of the lay community, like all of you, have supported us all these years in so many ways that, uh, you know, have given us this uh, sense of gratitude and made our lives as samanas, as mendicants, as monks and nuns possible uh, to devote ourselves to the actual practice. And before I came to England, I had, I went through a panic period uh, just before I left Thailand where I thought, I couldn't imagine being a Buddhist monk in London. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if you keep the Vinaya and that, I couldn't see how you could survive. If uh, in Thailand it was easy, but I didn't know what, what I would encounter or what to expect in a non-Buddhist country. And of course, Ajahn Chah's <coughs> response to my doubts was, you mean there are no kind people in England? <laughs> I have it not being English, I, I thought, well, I'm sure there are. And of course, as we can see today, the, the generosity of the people here, both from the English community and the Asian Buddhist communities and from Europe and many places, uh, have made it possible for us to live this holy life in a complete uh, way. And the Buddha set, it, set up the Sangha in this way, you know, so that, that we are completely helpless. 
uh, samanas. We we have no money. We can't have money and uh, own property or uh, you know we're celibate. Then we have to depend on. We can't garden. We can't grow our own uh, organic vegetables or anything. So we have to depend on the generosity and kindness of the lay community. Lungpo Cha's emphasis on a kindness, he didn't say they had to even be Buddhist. He said kind people. Well that was quite powerful for me because I never thought of it in those terms. I was very cynical. I thought basically human beings are selfish and uh, and that they wouldn't, you know, if you're looking like this, strange robe, shaven head, they probably uh, just make fun of you. And, but uh, Ajahn Chah was right. And so these 33, 34 years in the UK, there's never been any shortage of the requisites. There's never been, we have absolutely nothing to complain about uh, uh, in terms of shelter, food, uh, road material, and medicine. So this uh, this is the this says a lot for this country itself, you know, that it is a, a country where one can live as a Buddhist samana. There's never been any problem from the government or, you know, even the local people, even the Church of England has been quite tolerant and receptive. So uh, it is a society that has this uh, marvelous religious tolerance that makes uh, a monastery here in Hertfordshire like this workable. Imagine trying to have a Buddhist monastery uh, here maybe a hundred years ago. <laughs> it would be very difficult. But in the past hundred years, of course, things have changed. The amount of interest in Buddhism is, is worldwide. When I started out fifty years ago, in my interest in Buddhism, it was very difficult to find anything uh, on Buddhist teachings in any tradition in the English language. And now there's a plethora of information just on the internet, websites, bookshops, everything is, uh, it's, uh, there's, there's an enormous amount of, of information on every form, every variation on the Buddhist theme. And last night, as a, even a Sister Jitapala gave me the Four Noble Truths in German. <laughs> At least I think it's the Four Noble Truths, because I can't read <laughs> So this is very moving for me, because uh, <clears throat> it's like... Um, this this is really the barami of the Buddha and Lumpur Cha because uh, we realize that that this is a, a tradition established by the Lord Buddha 2,553 years ago, and so it's uh, it's a powerful tradition and it's a very pure tradition. It's not it's amazing. Always amazed me how how the the purity of the teaching has never been uh, corrupted really. When you stick to the basic uh, suttas, the Pali tradition, the Four Noble Truths, the Paticca Samuppada, and these, these, these are absolutely brilliant uh, 
ways of expressing a way to break through delusion as a human individual. And it's not about culture anymore. It's not about ancient India or modern England, but it's about being human and the problems that we all have as human beings. And those problems are not any different, whether it's the time of the Buddha in ancient India or modern life here in England. Uh, and just to, you know, the, the emphasis on the first noble truth of suffering, this brings into our consciousness that this realm that we're experiencing, this, this incarnation in a human body is is the experience of suffering. It's always changing, it's unpredictable, old age, sickness, death, loss and despair. These are a part, an experience that we all endure through in our lives, we all learn from, if we're willing to learn from life. If we're not willing to learn, then we're always going to be disappointed, despairing, depressed, angry by life itself because we're not going to be able to change it according to our deluded desires and make it what we would like it to be. So these past 33 years in England have been uh, very wonderful years. I really uh, appreciate living in this country and uh, I've become a British citizen so I'm um, I have dual citizenship now. So I have not rejected the United States, but I've lived longer here than I have in the States. <laughs> and then Thailand, of course, is another place where uh, it's like, um, to me, it's the place that, where I transformed, where I was transformed. So when I went to Thailand in 1966, <clears throat> I was a very unhappy a uh, confused person and uh, and I did have uh, not, not, not that life had been that problematic or terrible to me, I'm not uh, you know I've had a good, fortunately a good life even before I became a monk but I saw no purpose, no reason for living, it's just like you're just going through the motions and then in Thailand I really uh, changed due to my meeting with Ajahn Chah. So Thailand is a kind of, what do you say, like a home for me uh, because the, a whole, it, if I hadn't have gone there and hadn't had such an opportunity and such a, a wise and profound teacher as Lung Phan Chah, I don't know what, what I'd be like today. I can't imagine anything like this ever happening. And it does feel very strange to me to be the focus of such gratitude and respect because uh, I don't feel I've done much of anything. You know, it's just like uh, uh, you yourself, you don't know what other, how others see you and, and how others, what they, how you affect them. And so uh, it's always surprised me at how, uh, you know, how things have developed because it isn't like I had a big plan or a vision or uh, you know I had a, an idea in my mind of what was, I was going to do. It was just this simple teaching of Ajahn Chah that, that I trusted in. And that teaching was 
to to do, to be aware of things. To, and and of course, in the Thai language, the first Thai sermon I ever had that I understood in the Thai language was Lung Pa Cha pointing to his heart and saying, "It's all here. Do jit. <laughs> Look at your mind." And I, I, you know, it took me a while to learn to comprehend the Thai language, but but I was clever enough to figure that one out. <laughs> Do dip. <clears throat> and so that's that was uh, that was the the kind of that was a very profound Dharma teaching for me because it was uh, something I could do. When I first went to stay at Wat Papong, I, I couldn't speak the language. Uh, I was, you know, had no knowledge of what I was getting myself into, of Thai custom, of Northeast Thai traditions, and everything was so strange, so uh, exotic. You know, the weather, the food, everything was was a bit overwhelming. And then Lung Po Cha said, Do jit, watch your mind. I could do that. <laughs> and so through the, the initial frustration and, and, and all the, the uh, ridiculous uh, creations I made in my mind around the, the experiences I was having, I could observe them, this sense of being the observer uh, of the mind rather than, than Lung Po Cha said, don't be the owner of it, be the observer. And so this has, this has carried me through to this present moment, you know, this, like even now, this observing, this, this awakened state of observing just the, 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 the state of mind, the mood, the, the, the experience of the here and now that, that I can observe, you know, through, through just being aware and reflective on it. And seeing it in terms of, of Dhamma rather than in terms of cultural uh, conditioning or personal uh, attitudes or assumptions that I have uh, through the uh, personality, through the ego, through the cultural conditioning. So at this time, with, uh, I was, uh, because I'm 76 going on 77, and I found out yesterday, reading in one of these magazines, that the average age for men worldwide is 77.7 .7 years. <laughs> for women, it's 81.4. <laughs> men, we don't tend to live as long. <clears throat> so I'm, you know, at that age now where average, I don't quite know how to take that. I'm very healthy though, by the way. <clears throat> but the, this the also, uh, because of my aditana or my vow to to uh, do what Lung Po Cha wanted me to do, uh, I feel that, that now here in, in England it, the monasteries uh, have their own momentum. It's not it's not like it doesn't depend on me being here or holding it together. Uh, in the past few years, uh, we've developed this elders' council, senior monks, nuns that meet uh, several times a year, uh, the, the needs of the sangha, the problems that arise, are all considered in, 
in this monastic way. Uh, and of course, we keep to the tradition of Vinaya, so that this is our standard, uh, you know, that is immutable. We, we, we can't change or, or, or make that into something that we might prefer. We just learn to uh, accept that limitation, those boundaries of that uh, tradition. That's our practice, to, to give up our own personal wishes and reactions and desires to, to live within the structure of this very ancient tradition. And what that does is it, it leads towards contentment. Now the aim of the holy life is, is contentment. To, if we are not content, then we, we never, we're always thinking that happiness is, uh, is somewhere in the future or some other place or some other situation. Uh, for the alms mendicant, it's like we're, we're content with very little. So we have the, the bangza kula cloth, the rag robes, or the alms food. Very basic uh, uh, requisites, you know. We're not asking for the, the finest, the best, uh, the highest standard or the best quality. Now this, this is a powerful reflection, so that what it does is over the years it leads to a sense of contentment and gratitude that is the, the real essence of the holy life. So when I leave here, uh, you know, the, my years here in, in England, there is a sense of contentment and gratitude uh, through this reflective practice. Because uh, I have been treated extremely well in this country, supported beyond any, uh, any expectation I ever fantasized about, and uh, I've enjoyed living here. And, and through the trials and tribulations of Sangha life, because uh, don't think that just because we're Samanas that our life is just one blissful, continuously blissful experience. We all have to work out our karma, and we all are very strong characters, strong emotions, of different nationalities, ages, genders, and so forth, that, that we have to deal with our own peculiar habits, our own uh, attitudes, our cultural values, and the sense of our self-worth, our ideals, and our views and opinions. How can you possibly live together uh, trying to, to reconcile all the differences? So the, the Samana life is is not even an attempt to reconcile the differences, but to surrender to a, a structure, the Vinaya, and then to see the causes of suffering, uh, our own pride, conceit, selfishness, our fears, our anger, rage, resentments, confusions, by watching, by observing. And then the, the power of the Buddhist teaching is it simplifies it all. The Buddhist teaching is, is ultimate simplicity. And it, it takes things to the most simple level of just pure awareness. And, and that's so simple that most, most people it never really get it. <laughs> we have to make Buddhism more complex, especially for lay people. But uh, realize that, that we are complicated. 
human beings, we're very complicated at this time. We think a lot, we know a lot, we have uh, so much information, so much distraction, we have strong feelings, emotions, we're strongly identified with our bodies, what we appear, what our appearance and our, our, our feelings, our, our, the conditions that we identify with, we hold to and believe in completely. So it is, uh, uh, you know, one of the great uh, blessings of Buddhism that it gives us a way of having perspective on this that I've never seen an equal to this particular way of teaching in, in any other tri uh, religion or philosophy. It's, uh, it's very clearly spelled out in the Theravada Pali tradition and, and uh, that's what I've used over these years. It's just Lung Po Chao was, was emphasizing always the Four Noble Truths. And that, of course, is the first sermon the Buddha delivered after his enlightenment. And, um, and that is perfect teaching. <laughs> so he got it right, right from the beginning. And, uh, and that, that teaching, you know, it, it's still, uh, I'm so kind of blessed in my life by having uh, been able to spend all these years, 44 years now as a bhikkhu, 44 years practicing and, and using that teaching, applying it, uh, internalizing it. So it's not, you know, Four Noble Truths is not difficult to memorize intellectually, <clears throat> but it, in terms of applying it to experience of life, it's a, it's a continuous uh, opportunity in life because now the old age, uh, the, the, as, the, as the body gets old, then the vigor uh, becomes less and less, get stiff knees, you <laughs> and so forth. You see your, your parents die, and you see your teacher die, and you have to bear with the loss of friends and uh, through separation or through death. Uh, see, and we have to bear with the 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 times we're living in, with with so many problems, economic, political, social problems, uh, in a in a world now that has so changed and changes very rapidly, in a way that none of us know what will happen. You know, it's a mystery how what will be the result of all this technology, and and this huge population and degradation of the environment. But in spite of all that, we do have this occasion, this opportunity. And, and it's quite important to recognize the importance of this teaching at this time. Because this is, a, this, this is an ancient teaching, it's not New Age philosophy at all. It's a very ancient teaching that's been available to human beings for 2,500 years. And, uh, and now, of course, it, it has never really taken, the, in the Western world, in Europe, or North America, place, or the Americas, in fact, there's never been any real recognition or appreciation for Buddhism until fairly recently, in the past 50 years. And why is that? Because it is, it somehow is a teaching 
that encourages us to fulfill our humanity through wisdom, through understanding. It's a wisdom teaching. It's based on wisdom. It's not a, a cultural uh, kind of religion based on beliefs at a particular time in history. It, that's why it works, why it's so practical and useful in, in the modern society such as this one. So, I, of course, with Ajahn Amro's uh, generous invitation and, <laughs> and uh, got invitations from all over uh, in Thailand, like all kinds of invitations and uh, not to mention other places, but I do, I uh, do, I would like this uh, next few years to be able to renew myself in Thailand, to live there and uh, uh, I feel it, it's very important uh, that I go there and and uh, live there as a Buddhist monk because I have this uh, enormous sense of gatanyu, gatawaiti, you know, gratitude to that particular country because that's where uh, the the doors of Dhamma really opened wide for me and uh, and now that uh, this is Amaravati is not an easy place to take on uh, as a as a head monk, as an abbot. And I, you know, I couldn't think, we have, many of the senior monks are trying to figure out who would replace me? What if I drop dead now that I'm nearly 77.7? <laughs> and, uh, and then <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't think of anybody that would dare take on such a place as this except Ajahn Amaro. So, in, in Sangha agreement, we all agreed, and then when I invited him last year, uh, I didn't think he would accept, but he has. And so I'm very grateful for that, because I feel he's, he's uh, very capable, and he's at that age now that I think will really, uh, you know, has that kind of energy and interest and wisdom to, to carry on. And uh, also it gives me a chance to uh, go and live a more, hopefully, a life of solitude. Because I've never ever really wanted to be in this position. And, uh, and it's like, uh, I've always had this inner voice saying, I want to go back to my cave. I don't want to be here in, 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 the, in the focus, of, you know, the center of, of people's attention. And of course, it's been continuous ever since I came to the UK. I've been, you know, the senior monk, and uh, and everybody uh, is fixed on me. And of course, one has developed a practice around that to to uh, you know to see the suffering of not wanting the position or of getting caught up in self-importance or considering myself, you know, somebody special because it can work both ways. One can actually believe that, uh, you know, the ego does play tricks on the mind and uh, both ways, both as I can't really bear this or, uh, you know, I deserve the highest respect. <laughs> and, and the Shakespearean line, the summer's flower is to the summer sweet, but to itself it do but live and die. And I always like that, those two lines from a sonnet because, you know, the. The fact that how what the the summer flower is, 
but to itself, to myself, I do but live and die. And, and so this, this uh, it is very moving to receive me the, the uh, uh, I really appreciate the respect, the gratitude that I've received here. And it's very interesting, uh, like, to be able to be here for, I've got letters now from people I haven't seen for years, who I don't, or I've never seen, expressing their gratitude and so forth. And, and uh, you don't know how you've affected people till you're either dead or you're leaving. <laughs> So, it's like attending your own funeral, really. <laughs> I can enjoy <laughs> So I want to express my gratitude and uh, appreciation and uh, to the Sangha uh, here. Uh, it's uh, to the uh, Sangha in Thailand and to His Excellency, the Thai Embassy has always been very supportive of these these royal katinas. It's a very great honor to to uh, have a royal katina because these are very rare, uh, and only special monasteries have ever uh, been able to. You know that the king uh, offers the katina cloth. So at this time, the king King Pumipon, His Majesty in Thailand, is next year he'll be 84. And that, in uh, Thai terms, is a very significant age. Uh, so next year there'll probably be enormous kind of celebration. And he's uh, 84, and of course, uh, in aging, he's probably the longest-lived king in history, isn't he, of Thailand? 84 years. And uh, of course, his health is is not all that good, but. Uh, He's, I've been very fortunate in, you know, during these years, my monastic life, living under the benevolence uh, of King Pumipon, uh, King of Thailand. And uh, also, the, I think, like Tenjokun Kemadamo and I, we both reflect on the, that we were with Lung Po Cha in probably his peak years. I always feel blessed by that, that his very best. Uh, we were his students, his disciples, when he was really at his his peak of teaching, and uh, and where he really developed, you know, his system of branch monasteries, and and his uh, and his teaching was something that all of us have have really reached us in a profound way that has changed our lives enormously. Just this one. Buddhist monk in Northeast Thailand has has had enormous effect on on us as individuals, but also you can see here on, uh, in in uh, the UK and other places. So uh, I w I don't know if I'll ever be back. The future is the unknown, but uh, it uh, this is uh, the teaching of Lung Po Cha, my na. <laughs> So I make no promises. But anyway, uh, I feel that the teaching, uh, you know, of Lung Po Cha, the way he taught, because he taught the Buddhist teaching, but he made it very workable and, and practical for all of us, whether you're Thai Buddhist or 
Western Westerners, you know, it brings it down to a level that that it isn't just an interest in some exotic religion in Thailand, but it's about life itself, and it affects us, and and it and it works in our daily lives and how we integrate it into our lives, whether we're samanas or lay people. So I offer this for your reflection.